Okay, quick kind of roundup of where we're at, uh, where we've come to, quick revision, and then I'm gonna, we're going to flesh it out a little bit in terms of what this looks like in practice in our church life. Remember we're saying that the great mission statement you have as Grace Church is, is really a good statement of what our mission is, what our vision is as Christians. That is, as to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ is not only to, not only to radically submit your life to him and learn to obey all his commandments but in love to seek to make other apprentices, to see other apprentices move to the right one step at a time through the four Ps, through the word, through prayer, through our relationships, through patience, so that everyone around us, one step at a time, might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and take their place as one of his people around his throne. Now, um, and we've sort of talked about how Broadly, you could talk about the growth in the sort of stages of growth in that moving to the right, broadly speaking, and their rough categories is engage with people, evangelise people, establish people in the faith and growing in maturity, and then equip people to go and do likewise to see others. Now, what we want to do in this last session is, uh, is flesh out some practical implications of this for your church life, for your own lives, and especially for small groups. A number of you are small group leaders, is that right? A number of you are kind of community group leaders, is that correct? And some of you, are, most of you are in small groups. Small groups is one of the things we all do. So we're going to talk about how this applies to small group ministry in just a moment. But before I do that, I just wanted to, to sort of show you that by having this kind of, these kind of clear categories or sort of language in your mind, it helps you to understand what's going on right across uh, the complex thing that your church is, your church community is. If we kind of draw some lines going up from our four categories, and then I'm going to draw a few dotted lines kind of going across here, you can think about the different kinds of things we do as a church community. We do some things all together on Sunday, where we all gather as God's people, and we gather as a great big group. Then we do other things in, in smaller groups. Now, they might be your, do you call them community groups, is that right? Or what do you call your sort of or growth groups? Okay, whatever you call them. Churches around the world call them all different things. Those groups where you get together and read the Bible and pray and encourage each other. But you have other sorts of small groups as well. You could kind of call the youth group like a small group or a Sunday school class a small group or um, a men's breakfast that gets together or all the different kinds of things you might do that aren't a big gathering of all of us. They're a cluster of smaller, a subset. We get together. And of course, there's things we do at a personal level where it might be just you and one other person or maybe, maybe two other people, but it's, it's intimate. It's small, it's personal. Um, and can you see that everything you kind of might do would fit into one of these categories? So if you're going to talk about your community groups, uh, where would you say they mostly fit in this kind of matrix of possibilities? Would you say they're kind of probably mostly sort of here? That is, they're a small group, and their main function is to grow Christians, to establish Christians in maturity and to grow them, right? Um, what about personal, the personal conversation in the grocery store that we were talking about just before? This would be a sort of personal thing. It's on that level, and it's happening sort of down here and you kind of engage. You're having a little conversation 
with somebody and it might lead to them reading the Bible one-to-one with you or something and hearing the gospel and so on and so forth. So all the different kinds of things we might do to move people to the right will kind of fit somewhere on this chart. They'll be a personal thing, they'll be a small group thing, or they'll be a large thing. And the reason that this can be helpful is that it can help us to integrate in our minds and understand how, as a whole church community, we're all working together to do the same thing at all these different levels. Now, we're going to talk some about some practical sort of uh, aspects of that. Marty, sorry, do you, want to, do you want to add anything to that, Marty, in terms of that looks and concept? Yep. Um, one thing I particularly want to mention as a practical example of this is Sunday. Now, we normally think as Christians, Christians are used to putting Sunday almost in a different category. Uh, we come to church to, we might say we come to a worship service. Uh, it's true, we do worship the Lord when we come to church. Um, that's, of course, true. But sometimes that can be a limiting kind of language or a limiting kind of category in our minds for what's really happening on Sunday when we get together. Because what's happening on Sunday? What's happening when Pastor Phil or Pastor Matt stands up and preaches a sermon? Well, he's probably mainly a sermon. A sermon usually kind of spans across a few of these. A sermon might be mainly addressed to teach the Bible to Christians to edify them and grow them. Kind of mainly lives here. But if it's a good sermon and if it's a gospel sermon, as most sermons will be, it will also evangelise a non-Christian person who's there, right? And it might also equip the Christian person to be able to have that word, know that word, and take that word and share it with someone else. In fact, that's a very good application point for any sermons. How are you going to take this word we've learned today and share it with your family and share it with somebody else? And so what is the sermon doing? The sermon is moving the congregation to the right as the word is declared. It does, it engages or evangelizes. It might even engage with the non-Christian who is present. In fact, good preaching kind of tends to assume that there are non-Christians present and engages with that non-Christian person, welcomes them, evangelizes them, teaches the Christian, and also equips. That's why it's so hard to be a good preacher. <laughs> You're doing a lot sometimes in a sermon. And sometimes different passages uh, relate on different things. But never mind the sermon and the preachers. What does it mean for you on Sunday? If you were to come on a Sunday morning thinking, what we're doing when we gather here is to engage with a non-Christian person, to speak the gospel to them, to establish and build up and edify Christians, and to equip one another, what difference would it make to the way you, you behaved or you saw yourself coming to church on Sunday? If you thought, my mission to make apprentices of Jesus Christ, I'm going to fulfil that mission when I go to church on Sunday. You tell me, what would it mean? What sort of things might you do when you came to, came to church on Sunday? You might actually talk to other people. That's yeah. extraordinary, yeah. What a concept, right? What a concept. Sometimes we come in, do the service we need. Yeah. So engaging with others and even trying to seek out people that might not be coming, you know, new people. <clears throat> this is the whole, this is exactly. So this is the whole thought behind that little book, How to Walk into Church, which is such a funny name for a book. But when I'm walking into church, what am I thinking? Am I thinking someone is sitting in my seat? Um... <laughs> Because we all have our seats, don't we? 
Or am I thinking, Lord, please take me to someone and let me sit next to someone today that I could personally encourage? That's a different kind of way to walk into church, isn't it? And instead of walking in and looking straight for that same seat with that same set of friends in that same little pocket you always sit in, what if you walked in and thought, geez, there's someone over, I've actually seen that person before, they're here on time, so they're probably a newcomer. <laughs> or even worse, they're here early, they're definitely a newcomer. I'm going to go and, they don't know anybody, I'm going to go and, I'm not going to sit in my spot, I'm going to go and sit next to them and see who they are and get to know them and engage with them. What a shocking concept. What's just happened is you've decided that when I come to church, I'm wanting to move people around me to the right. So I'm looking for people that I can encourage. And then during the service, as the service is going on um, and the sermon is happening, just think of all the ways that you could model and encourage and help the people around you by the way you engage in the Sunday meeting, by the way that you listen attentively, by the way that you sing heartily, whether you can sing or not. I mean, you know what that's like. If you're standing next to someone who's, who's going like this during the singing, right, it, it's not exactly an encouragement for you to join in, is it? Like, it's a bit of a downer if the person next to you is not singing at all. But if they're going for it, it kind of encourages you to do the same, doesn't it? And it says to me, wow, that person believes this stuff. They actually want to sing this stuff. And even though they can't sing a note... They still want to sing this stuff. I find that the most encouraging thing of all. If the guy next to me is, is obviously tone deaf, but is belting out, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood um, because he's astonished at how wonderful it is that he should have an interest in Christ's blood, that's super encouraging to me. Okay? So everything we do on a Sunday can be part of moving others around us to the right. And then we come to after church. Imagine what a different, you know how the, um, the uh, you know, I don't know how you do a benediction here, but it's kind of, it can sometimes be like a starter's gun, right? Pow, and then boom, everyone's off, right? Um, the, <laughs> now, that's, that's how I think if I think it's all about me, if I think I'm coming to church for my sake, and now I want to get home in time for the game. Um, whereas if I'm thinking I'm here because I want to encourage I'm going to be an apprentice who helps the people around me move to the right. I stick around. I see who there is to talk to. And when I talk afterwards, I say, what did you think of verse 23? And that was fascinating. I never thought that before. Did you find that that hit you like it hit me? And you start having a conversation about the word with the people you're chatting to. Um, that's the kind of thing that an apprentice who's seeking to move others around them to the right might do. So you see that if you think about Sunday as an exercise in moving everyone to the right, of course, as part of all of that, we're responding to the word by worshipping our great God, praying to him, giving thanks to him. Um, But it's not all we're doing in church. We're also looking at each other and thinking, how can I move you, the people around me, one step to the right? So this kind of language and vision and this way of thinking about ourselves as apprentices Apprentices who are seeking to move other apprentices forward completely changes the way you think about what Sunday is doing. In other words, when you walk into church, I'll come in just a second, when you walk into church on Sunday, you should have your Grace Church mission statement in your head. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. Maybe we could even add in, 
in our church, across the street and around the world, because it's the whole thing. You're coming to church to make apprentices of Jesus and see apprentices grow. Question? wonderful summary of what we've just been talking about. How can I help those around me? And ironically, not ironically, it's kind of obviously, the more you do that, the more you get out of church. (laughs) The more you come home from church encouraged and exhilarated and joyful because I've not only been helped by other people around me, but I've had the joy of helping somebody else. And that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. So it's it's abandoning that consumer mindset because we're not consumers, we're apprentices. Yeah. Yeah. You love somebody, you're going to do something. Mm. Absolutely. It's not, it's not just a warm, hopefully it's a warm feeling, but it's not primarily a warm feeling. It's primarily a determination to seek the good of the other person, whatever it costs me. But the feeling comes from the action. Yeah, very often. Yeah, yeah, very often it does. That's true. Um, so Sundays is a, is a theatre for apprentice making. That's what Sundays is. And the way that you're thinking about apprentice making um, will then shape what happens on Sunday. And that's something perhaps more for the pastors and the leaders and those who shape Sunday to think about. How can we shape Sunday in the best way to engage the non-Christian who's here, to evangelise them, to make church an accessible place where they feel welcome and understand what's going on and where they hear the gospel? And how can all that we do really push and stretch the Christians and drive them forward and help them in some way to learn to do that for others. Sunday, that's one kind of stratum or one kind of area in which we can all move each other to the right and seek to move others. Why don't we talk about a different one, though, Marty? Well, why don't you talk about this in the, using the vertical columns? Yeah. One of the things, as if you were to do the uh, kind of two people list across the four E's and after lunch, we prayed about the different people in your areas of influence and relationship. You start to realize that you can't do it all your own. You already know that, but you start to really realize I can't minister to all these people in a deep way as I want to. And I hope the Lord keeps growing my desire in that level. And so this is why it's really important that of the things Tony's been saying, that we understand where all that we do around here, I'm going to make me one of you. All that we do around here at Grace Church points people to the right so that I can participate even when I'm stretched beyond what I'm able to do very deeply and personally. What I mean by that is that, so we run this workshop uh, in a different way for pastors and ministry leaders, and we get them thinking about how all their uh, programs, structures, or trellises work together to point people to the right. And so the more you know, uh, that sounds like a commercial, the more you know uh, about why and how everything exists here at Grace Church, the more you're participating all together at moving someone to the right, even when you can't do it yourself or even when you don't know that, the person that well themselves. Tony mentioned small groups. I think he's going to come back to that in a minute here. But you think about Small groups function to establish people into the faith. And so if you're talking with someone uh, individually on a personal level uh, who is a Christian here at this church and you, you just because of circumstances or season of life, you couldn't say meet 
and read the Bible one-to-one with each other, well, your role could be to help move that person to the right is simply to get a person who is not involved to put them into a small group. Now, one great way to do that is why don't you come along to my group with me and be part of this together? Um, But there's all sorts of ways. You meet someone on a Sunday morning, you don't know where they're at, right? And so this is a Sunday morning, uh, and you start having a conversation with this people, this person. You think, okay, how can I help this person next step to the right? One thing is to encourage that person to keep coming back Sunday mornings so that person can, can hear the gospel, and then as you see this person Sunday morning and they're hearing the gospel and they're maybe in the Lord's kindness, they come along and they're established. You can then from that point, point them into the group that way. And so this all kind of works together. And what we would love to see is a group of 100 people here be a bunch of self-starters in ministry. Uh, and self-starter is really someone who's able to do gospel ministry, right word moving work without being asked. Because there's going to be a lot of people in this room that your pastors don't, or a lot of people you know that your pastors will not and never know. (laughs) And so your desire is to say, how can I help point all people to the right? And so you could personally reach out to them. And if, you know, the circumstances work out, go ahead and do that. But it's also at the same time the opportunity to say, we're all part of this together. And you've got all your little structures and trellises around here. And so here's what I'm saying. Read your bulletin, your announcements. Keep up what's going on here at Grace Church. Not just so, you know, oh, that's nice to know. But so that you can prayerfully consider how you can use the structures, Sunday morning, women's, men's Bible studies, youth groups, Uh, any kind of one-to-one things happening, you can use the structures to help people go to the right. You can be a self-starting Christian to move people to the right without your pastors being asked. Asking you, sorry. Any thoughts on that? You understand that that this all works together. So I'll just workshop one example. At our church, we have something called MOPS, Mothers of Preschooler. And we're actually having, it's an interesting, we could get lost in this, but We're wrestling with the idea with their leaders to say some of the MOPS leaders think it's an established thing. But we're actually, we put MOPS on to be a smaller group of women to engage women in the community with the felt need of giving them a place to go to have their kids minded and for them to have a little respite from all these little ones running around. And so MOPS exists here to engage women. And we might do some small Bible study at times. There might be a short evangelistic message. There might be something, a Christian devotion. But as a whole, it it works here. MOPS won't be that helpful for the cause of rightward moving if we don't have a pathway and a next step to the right for women in MOPS. We would love a woman in MOPS who comes to consider, for example, coming to church on Sunday morning. So they would hear the gospel. They would maybe be evangelized, maybe be established. Depends where this mom's at. And so quite often we want to say to the leaders of MOPS to say, make sure you regularly invite all the women, if they don't go to another church, to go to come to our church. But another great thing would be is for a mother to be maybe connected with an older, maybe empty nest mom to be in a one-to-one relationship, just to maybe eventually, initially it's just an engagement relationship. 
you know, get to know Alice and, you know, Alice will take this woman under her belt and then she will slowly move to the right. That would be a really good thing for mops to point people to, to the right. But one of the issues we've had over the years with mops, that there's something called mentor moms or table leaders, is that we need mature Christian moms who understand that the goal of mops, while it's a good penultimate goal to give young moms a rest and a little time together, that's great. Remember, that's not the ultimate goal, though, right? The ultimate goal is to move that mom to the right in maturity, to help her think about the Lord Jesus. And so we need to work actually over here. And maybe from our small groups, we tell uh, our small group leaders to give us the name of one older mom or one older lady who would be willing for a season to step out of small groups and join a training group here such that we've trained these women, these older women, how to engage one-to-one with a mops person and deploy them back down here to help these mothers that we're starting to invite. And so you're starting to, this is just a very minimalistic example. You're starting to see the importance of having everyone, every one of you thinking we're all about right word movement here. Because what will happen otherwise, we just do mops. Hey, it's great to have all these moms in here. Isn't that nice? Good. But is it serving the goal of making disciples or moving people to the right? And then you start to think, what else could we do to engage in all three of these levels to move people to the right? Let me just stop there. Any thoughts, questions on that? Does that make sense? I don't know if you have a mops or something like that. We do a basketball program. I know you're, you have a gym here. We do something called Upwards, and it's the same thing. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who step in our church. It's not going to do any good to move people to the right unless we have a bunch of mature individuals willing to come to upward basketball and stand on the sideline shoulder to shoulder with people and have a conversation, maybe inviting them to Sunday morning. Or we realize from upwards, this is quite in real time for us, we do not have an evangelistic small group trellis. All of our evangelism, uh, or I would say, if you were to look up and down on the evangelism column here, we rely on the individual to do almost all the evangelism at Old North Church. Now, the gospel is preached on a Sunday morning, but we don't have anything here to invite an upward person to, to invite a mops person to. If you were a, a, you know, at a soccer game yourself, you could say, yes, you could come to church with me. But as Tony has said in uh, times, is, that's a big ask for a lot of people these days, right? To go from doing nothing to start coming to church. So maybe we put on a, a, an intermediate step for these people and say, you know what, we're going to have a, a couple friends for a backyard barbecue in the summer for four weeks and just talk about some things of the, the really important life. Would you like to come to that? That's a great, really good intermediate step uh, on top of or instead of at least temporarily to invite them to church. So we are thinking, what could we do in this space, a smaller group trellis to build to invite people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then one more thing I'll say before Tony comes and talks about small groups is another area that's easily overlooked, at least in our context, but I'd say it's similar here because we're Midwest like you. And for us, we're kind of like the Bible Belt of the North. A lot of the people at our church who are mature talk to people as if they are just one step behind them. 
And the problem with that is, is that so many people, especially if you're under 30 years old, you probably, just statistically speaking, didn't grow up going to church. And so even if this young person is a believer in Jesus and you invite him or her to your small group here and everybody says, okay, uh, someone shares a, a big struggle in their life and someone says, you know, and says something like, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. we know we're with you because we know somehow God's working this out for the good. This young, immature Christian thinks, how is it possible that this person's going through such hardships and it's for the good? They don't know Romans 8.28. They don't even know where the book of Romans is because they've never read the Bible. And so to be aware that when you minister the gospel or try to bring someone towards maturity in Christ is that you need to speak, as we said earlier today, where they're at so they can make the next step to the right. And then how that affects your groups what could be your groups or your Sunday mornings becomes much more accessible in the type of language and approach you take in order to meet people where they're at to bring them towards. Now, we're saying a lot here, and I just want to, I'll just stop at this minute, but just to say that it is quite a helpful thing to work this through and to have your leaders keep you informed and you keep informed of all that's going on at Grace Church, not just to be a good attender, but to be a rightward mover, okay? Tony, do you want to... Do some small group. Sure. Um, since our time's running away and we want time for those, those questions, let's talk about small groups in particular. Um, this is very helpful, though. Even though, as a large group, we can't do a lot of this, a lot of this kind of thinking about what are the pathways in this church that help people move forward, it's the kind of stuff that your, your pastors and leaders are, are thinking through. Um, but it's a hugely helpful mind shift for you to have in mind as key leaders and lay people here at Grace Church Everything we're trying to do, all the different programs, all the stuff we put on, this is the criteria for them. It's not, let's put on a whole series of things to cater for everybody so that everybody's got a group that, they, that ticks their box, like a menu that we just choose the thing on the menu that I like. It's that everything we do has got to fit somewhere here and be a waiter for people to move forward through the... Pro- Remember, all these different activities have the four Ps in them. That's the point of them. Okay. So let's talk about small groups. What is a small group? How about we start by what a small group is not? And I'll pause... Well, I'm just using the generic small group um, to describe community groups, growth groups, Bible study groups, whatever you call them. A small group is not an event that happens on a Wednesday night. A small group is not a place where people make friends and get to know other people so they don't feel lonely. A small group is not a place where I share my joys and troubles and have somebody to talk to about them. A small group is not a place where I find community and a sense of belonging. None of those things are adequate definitions of what a small group is or should be. In God's kindness, all of those things are things that happen in small groups and are wonderful byproducts of what the real purpose of a small group is. If you've been listening today and you're starting to be getting what we're saying, what is a small group? A small group is a cluster of apprentices who gather together to move each other to the right. That's what a small group is. And they do it how? Through the four Ps, through sharing the word of God with each other, through praying for each other, through doing that personally, interpersonally, as people with one another, patiently over time. 
As you do those essential things, that's essentially what a small group is, the other things flow out of that. Yes, you'll have a meeting on a Wednesday night, but the meeting on the Wednesday night doesn't define what a small group really is. Anyone can put on a meeting on a Wednesday night. Churches these days feel they must have small groups and they must get people into them. We all just feel that's what churches should do. And so we put people in small groups and we're, great, we've got people in small groups. But that's not what a small group is. It's not a holding pen or a structure. It's not even a focus for community, even though community is built while we are in a small group. The purpose and essence of a small group is to fulfil the disciples-making commission of Christ, to make apprentices of one another. What does that mean in practice? It means in practice for small groups that the word must be central. A small group in which we share our struggles and talk about all the issues of our lives, that's important. It's important to unload. It's important to have a space where we can just tell people all that's going on and be prayed for. But unless the word of God, the word of Christ, is applied to our hearts in the midst of those struggles and hardships, all we've done is unburden ourselves. We haven't been moved to the right. We haven't been encouraged. We haven't been taught or maybe even rebuked by what the word says to us in the midst of our struggles. You see the difference? The small group, like any apprentice-making activity, has the word of God spoken so that there can be progress to the right as as the spirit uh, spirit powerfully uh, applies it to our hearts. Uh, there's, another, there's another implication in all of this for small groups, and I'll get you to ask your questions in a second about small groups. Uh, sometimes in churches, small groups, community groups, almost become like a mini church, like just a smaller version of church. That is, the leader basically gives a slightly interactive sermon over 35 or 40 minutes. And it kind of, and, some, and leaders kind of, um, some people are chuckling here, they've experienced this, and maybe this is you, maybe you do this. This is great. If you're good at this, that's okay, but um, we, we have a structure where we have teaching and a sermon. Um, that's called Sunday Church, and usually the guys who do that are really gifted at it and have been training at it for decades. When we gather in a small group, it's a different kind of word application, word ministry opportunity. It's a mutual word ministry opportunity. Those of you who are leaders of of community groups, let me encourage you, as you lead a study, as you open the word uh, with your group, your goal is not that you tell the group what the word says. Your goal is to lead your group into the word, like like a group of of, um, tourists who are going into a beautiful city to look around and find the riches that are there. And your job is to be the tour guide, to kind of help your group discover what is there and to share with one another how great that thing is that we've discovered together. There's a metaphor for the small group Bible discussion. It's not a lecture by an expert on the city that tells you all about the city. It's a journey of discovery. And it's a different form of learning then. You learn things differently that way. Now, there are things that you're going to learn on Sunday to a careful and um, well-prepared exposition that you probably won't learn in that form of mutual discovery. But likewise, there are things you can do in that journey of mutual discovery in the word that you can't do through a sermon. I can't, for example, answer your particular question that you've always had with verse 27 and talk about that together and help one another. And I can't talk about the particular application of the word to your situation right now 
and talk that through with you and have a discussion and a prayer about that. In other words, you can apply the word and talk through and pray through the word in a small group in a way that obviously you can't in a sermon. It's, it's one to many, okay? So small groups play a hugely important role. And in my experience in doing small group training over many, many decades, it's really common for them to kind of push to one or other set of the spectrum. Some small groups, the leader is so concerned to get the exegesis of the passage right and to make sure everything is correct and to get through the whole passage and to answer the whole question, answer every question on the sheet and make sure everything is theologically correct and and almost preach a little mini-sermon that it's kind of all conviction and content and no actual application and talking and mutual talking. And there are other groups where it's kind of all the other way around. It's all caring and sharing and, and prayer points and what's going on in my life. And if we get to the Bible a little bit, that's kind of a bonus, okay? I don't know how your groups are, whether you've experienced both of those. I certainly have in groups. And the ideal is a group where the word is shared deeply and we wrestle over the word together, but we have time to see what it means for each one of us and how it hits each one of us and share that with each other. And as we share it with each other, we move each other forward to the right. Do you want to ask anything about small groups? Just kind of giving away, this is how small groups fits into this. Many of you are leaders, I know. Most of you are in small groups. You want to throw any questions up now, particularly about how small groups fit into this vision? Yes, Bob. I have a question about multiplication. Multiplication? Yep. Individually, we move forward, we go to the right, and we go back to the left, we bring people forward. Yeah. How do you get around... Sure. Um, there's two kind of answers to this. One is if it's, if it's clear, if the vision of what this small group is is clearly communicated, so if the kind of vision we're talking about um, is it communicated from the top, up front, and from you as the leader of the small group that this is what we're here to do. We're here to disciple each other, to apprentice each other to Jesus. Um, then the purpose of the group is that. And the relationships and friendships that build naturally, of course, are a wonderful um, instrument for that. We can do it through friendship. Uh, and a consequence of that, we become deep, more deeply uh, attached to one another as we do that. But if our vision is clear about what we're doing, then when we say, okay, it's time to welcome, it's time for maybe two or three of us to go and join a different group and for us to welcome in two or three members, we'll say, yeah. I get we need to do that because we're not here just to be friends. We're here to make apprentices of Jesus, and that needs to happen. So the clearer the vision is, the more that you can, you can welcome the pain of leaving the good friends you have. And so you don't end up with those groups that have been together for decades and have kind of become closed. No one can enter, no one can leave, which is, sometimes can be difficult, right? Uh, the other thing to say is that we haven't said much about equipping here, but it's the small group is a great uh, theatre for equipping in two ways. Um, that is, if we're going to do some training, if we're going to do some, let's equip and train one another to do ministry together, a small group is a great place to do some of that training, whether it's a Sunday school class or a weekly small group. And so it's good sometimes to devote some of your time each year in your small group to explicitly saying, okay, let's train each other in something for six weeks. And then, because you're doing that within a small group, you can keep kind of at each other. You can hold each other 
uh, to the fire a little bit, keep praying for how it's going, keep talking about how it's going and the thing you've been trained in. So small groups are a great theatre for equipping and also, of course, therefore, for raising up new small group leaders. So as a small group leader, you should be always thinking, who is it amongst these people who has the potential to be a group leader in a year or two's time? And how can I train and help them just maybe take a few steps forward towards that? So in terms of multiplication, it's important for small group leaders to be always thinking, who's the next small group leader that's in my group um, that I can help to start to grow and learn? Yeah. yeah Tony, I'd just say that at our church, when, when, when I arrived there, we were kind of here, and the, we had groups meeting, one group was meeting for 20 years. And you imagine trying to introduce new people into a group that's been meeting for 20 years. It ain't happening. So, you know, it's just not going to work. So one of the things we're trying to do to move our, as we've moved our groups to be here, they're certainly still establishing, but also equipping, we realize that some of the group, for the sake of love, will break off and move their group to be here to help those new people break in. Um, and sometimes it is worth putting those people in here to be in, in, in relationship with mature people. But oftentimes we send some of our better people out to be deployed here. And over time, that group then tends to move to the right. So it's, it is a thinking beyond, like, how can I just find a place where I can have friendship and hear, share my struggles with? That's a great byproduct. But there's a greater vision that I think is serving the greater end of seeing people grow in the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of the things I was thinking, Tony, as you were saying, we'll, we'll, move, we'll get Matt to come on up for questions, is thinking about the, quite the posture of our small groups. We're wrestling this at our, our church. Um, some of the groups, uh, quite literally the posture is people come in and they sit and face the, the, the leader because they're there for the expert teaching, right? And the good part about that is they want to see the Bible. Right? They want to see the Bible held up. But the downside of it, as they face the leader, they're not, they are not really actually posturing themselves towards others. Uh, and so it's kind of still breeding a little bit of a consumer mentality. And other groups on the other side, they come in and they circle up. Um, but in one sense, the Bible is kind of outside the circle. The, the primary thing is care and share. Um, and, and what we're trying to build into our leaders so they can feel the groups is the kind of both. Is say, let's, let's be here in our posture towards one another, not just the expert teacher, but have the Bible in the middle so that we see that community is built around the truth of God's word and not just against our problems. And so we're, we're quite literally working this out in the context of our small groups. So what you said was really, really helpful. Um, it's, not, it's not one or the other. It's the idea that the word of God is building into all of us. Yeah. I think we could probably say a lot more, but I think for the sake of, Matt said there's lots of questions, so why don't we stop here and we can make other yeah. comments in context of those questions. We, we, we do. Thank, thanks for all your questions, everybody. So we'll, we'll shift in. You can still, some, still send some in. Uh, no promises that we're going to get to all of them. We've got a really good, we've got, we've got double digits with the questions, so thanks for those. So just to, and I'm going to do some wrap up here and just as we kind of get to the end, everyone, but as you're giving us this, uh, so we thought a lot about structures and every church, including ours, is always wanting to think about our structures, our opportunities, and our environment, and how wise they are and how helpful they are at fulfilling what we're wanting to do. So these are wonderful suggestions. I'm, I'm considering a lot of these things and just learning my, having a posture of learning myself. So you've given us this vision of the Christian life, particularly, Tony, as you're talking about Sunday morning, the way we approach Sundays. Would you say in a summary form that intentionality is just a huge part of this, just being intentional with your Christian life? Would you, would you see that as a good summary word? 
yeah. these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we all have our intentions and purposes in doing everything we do. Sometimes they're just not stated or clear, are they? Oh, yeah. And so um, normally when I'm not doing well and coming to church on Sunday, I just, I just haven't been clear with myself and clarified with my mind what my intention is. And so I have all yeah. these multiple different intentions and purposes that are running around in my mind. I, I just want to get through this and go home because I'm tired um, I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm feeling grumpy or whatever the, the little intention that might be running around in the back of your mind. It's about, it's about clarifying the big intention yeah. and coming to church purposefully mm. to say the big dominating intention in my mind is to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I'm coming here to grow as an apprentice and to be pushed by others, but I'm also coming to apprentice other people to the Lord Jesus Christ just those people next to me, one step at a time with whatever little thing I can do, anything I can do to see the people around me just move forward in Jesus Christ. And you're right, it's having that deliberate intentionality about people around me. In many ways, some of the comments I made about worship, sometimes when we come to church really focused on worship as our intentionality, our focus is almost entirely between us and God, right? We're just thinking church is about me and God. It's about me worshipping God, or maybe us all worshipping God. Now, that is absolutely right. That's what we're doing in church. God's speaking to us, and we're responding to him. But often that way of thinking about it doesn't encompass this other incredibly important dimension, this sort of more horizontal dimension. I'm also here to help all of you grow in in your response to God. And so clarifying your intention, I'm here to hear from God, I'm here to respond to God. I'm here to love you. Wonderful. Let me so, just add, let me just add yeah, real quick please. on that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of quaint these days, the old type of style thinking like Saturday nights is when you start church, Sunday mornings. You get to bed early. You read the passage the pastor's going to uh, preach on. And I'm, like Tony, I find myself, you know, I don't even think about it till Sunday mornings. And I'd say it's never too late. Think about the parking lot as an opportunity. The parking lot conversion is a really good, you know, that's like, we just sat in a fight with my wife. I yelled at all my kids. Uh, and then I have the, the parking lot to convert. So when pe- I walk in the building and people say, hi, Pastor Marty, how are you? Great. I am great. And everything is wonderful. Um, but I actually think that parking lot is a great kind of reminder for the, even if I should have been doing Saturday night, I, it's my conversion moment as I look at the other spaces and I look at cars and like, yeah, I'm here for all these people, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. And so even, it's never too late for a parking lot conversion right. on Sunday mornings. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, so, so some of these questions, as we're talking about moving to making progress towards the ride as best we can, uh, a question is, if there is someone who is completely unwilling to take further steps, is there a point where you step back? Now, patience is one of the points. So is there a point where you step back, you're, just, you're seeing them as unwilling? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because um, some of us will know from our own experience, we're so grateful that people stuck with us um, and, didn't, and didn't step back from us when we were stubborn over a long period of time. Some of us will have that story. But it's also true... Um, that there comes a point where there are so many people to, to minister to. Um, I have other towns to preach the gospel in, says Jesus, and he moved on. Um, and sometimes when the town rejected him or his disciples, it's, it's, it's kind of brush the dust off your feet and keep going. So there is also that aspect to it that sometimes we'd never stop praying for people who are unresponsive. 
and never stop going back for another go at some future point. But there is a point where you've tried and tried and tried and tried and it's no longer productive within the relationship. It's just kind of almost more irrit irritating and, um, and dysfunctional in the relationship to keep pushing that you just keep praying, you've said everything, you've, you've said it so many times, and you move on to seek other apprentices, other people you want to move to the right, and keep praying for that person. So um, I think it's, each case is different, and there's some wisdom needed. But. And the idea that, that we're all working together, so my story of Peter, I wasn't, uh, he was still mm. in context of the four Ps, right? And so it might not be me that I just, I'm exasperated, I, I, you know, I put, they put the wall up, but I can still at least briefly encourage my brother to go to church. Yeah. Or his small group that I might not be part of. So, or well, you might together. encourage some other friend to, yeah, to, step in. to step in and get to know this person and yeah. be someone in their life. Yeah. It, it, it is encouraging that I don't have to be the only person involved. Exactly. It's that a team game. Everything, everything may or may not be up to me. And I think that could be a freeing thing. Yeah. And, and, a, and an encouraging thing. Tony's moved to the right and how he, he used to, he said it's a team game. That's well done. You used to say we hunt in packs, which is a little bit <laughs> vicious for our, yeah, we're a gentle, genteel society. So yeah, we're, it's a team I, game. I, I like do that. love hunting over here. We don't do much hunting in Australia. Do you go out hunting on your own? No, you go and hunt with somebody else. Anyway, keep going. Uh, a, a couple of questions. So there's two questions of this nature. I'm going to read them both so we have the full context. I want to be a disciple. I understand the importance of being a disciple. However, I'm a strong introvert, and I feel that that hinders me. Now, there was another one like this. Let me, let me just read them, let me read them both. Uh, and another one of the same kind says, you're talking a lot about speaking with others to help them move to the right to make progress. What about introverts or those with social anxiety? Is it a sin to actively avoid others? What should they do? So You're the introvert. The <laughs> I'm the introvert, yeah. Um, I'll be exhausted after today. So I love being with you. I'm enjoying talking with you. I love all the conversations at lunchtime. I'm not resenting any of them, let me tell you. But I'll be really, really tired when we walk he's out He's already told me he's riding in the backseat back to <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> so in other words, um, even those of us who... An intro introvert is someone who is kind of drained by contact with people. Yep. An extrovert is someone who is energised by right. contact with people, broadly speaking. It's a bit crude, but broadly speaking. Yep. And those of us who find people more draining, it just means we need to shepherd our energy and need to realise, yes, we have energy, I can talk to people, I know that I'm just not going to be able to talk to people as much as Marty will, who's, who just thrives on it, and the more he talks to people, the more energetic he gets. And so for those of us who are quieter, shyer, um, it's partly about shepherding our energy and realising our limitations and realising God's gifted us in a certain way and to use our gifts the best way we can. But it also often means those of us who, who are more introverted often spend more time thinking, reflecting, being considerate, being thoughtful, and praying. And so it could be that, that your ministry is, to, is, is going to, there's going to be more emails and texts and prayers in your ministry than there are long, deep conversations after church. That could be more the kind of gift you have and more the way you end up expressing it. So I would say shepherd, shepherd and steward your energies, but that doesn't mean it's an excuse not to talk to people. And secondly, use the things you are good at to move other people to the right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm an extra. I have nothing to say. Wonderful. The extrovert, the extrovert has nothing to say. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. We're willing to give you some energy if you want to talk more, Marty. Yeah, all of us introverts will pass it on. Uh, so, so this one says, I have people in my life who are believers but have been so deeply wounded by people in the church. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, taints their, it taints their view of God and scripture. 
What's one way I can help them take a step to the right when, 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 when Christians have hurt them? Oh, look, I can think of several people for whom this is the case in my life as well and in our churches. It's very common. It's actually one of the most common reasons people fall away from the faith, as it were, or, or, or pull back. It's very often not that they've had a crisis about the meaning of the resurrection or about predestination or something. It's that they've been incredibly burnt by someone uh, and they can't come back. In these circumstances, um, I'm thinking of a particular person in my life, actually. Personal friendship, personal contact, letting them see that you love them and want to keep in contact with them and value them uh, and are gracious and merciful and kind of loving to them, even though they've walked away from the thing you did together. That's hugely important because it kind of says... The love of Christ that should and does manifest itself in Christian fellowships, even though sometimes, sadly, it doesn't, is real and it exists and I'm loving you with that love and I'm sticking with you and it may take a long time to start having conversations again and the next step back, the next step to the right for someone like that is almost always not, why don't you come to church with me? That's often too big a step for someone who's been that burnt. The next step is, hey, how about we, I know you really still underneath everything, you believe this, and I know that you, you take Jesus, you still think that Jesus is the son of God, how about we just get together, the two of us, and just read the Bible for a bit? Well, maybe you and me and Marty, why don't we get together and, and just read the Bible once every couple of weeks together, because I'm sure you'd find that a blessing and good for your life, and I'm so sorry you've been so hurt. Start there, that's a step forward, and the step to church again Maybe a few steps down the track. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I, I, I believe this question is about, is about priority. So you put the cross in the middle, and we're very clear about baptism and conversion as this, as this moving from one life to the next. All the, all the images the New Testament uses about conversion and change and regeneration. Are there different levels of importance in discipling people to the left versus those to the right of the cross? I think it's a prioritization question. Yeah, we get asked this at workshops for churches to say, you know, if this is mapping out our time and energy and resources, should, should the line be straight across? And in one sense, in one sense, you want to say yes, but in another sense, reality is no. We often are reacting and talking about doing this. We're often reacting what we see is the norm in that most people do very little here and are naturally geared here. And so in one sense, to answer the question, we'd say we would have a rebalancing of it such that in order to rebalance, you need to address where it's out of balance, if that makes sense. So I want to say there is a sense in Jesus came into the world to save sinners, yeah. and, and thus our agenda is to see sinners saved, but talk to your pastor, like, that it can't just be get them down the aisle, get them baptized, and that's it. So um, I would just say it, you, you've got to address the maybe imbalance of where you're at. You want to say anything else? Uh, maybe you can put it like this. Um, church is for Christians. The church is a gathering of God's people. Uh, and your task, primary task as a church, is to move one another to the right. But to move a Christian to the right is to make them evangelistic, right? A, a Christian who's growing more mature, a church that's growing more mature, is looking left more and more. So yes, there's a natural focus, kind of almost like a core purpose for you as a fellowship of God's people, to build one another up, to build the body of Christ. The more you do that, the more evangelistic you'll become as a body of Christ. The more, the more like, in other words, the more like Jesus you'll become, who came to seek and to save the lost. So 
in the end, uh, a church that focuses all its energies and has all its priorities on building believers, but doesn't end up equipping those believers to go out to the world with the gospel, still hasn't really established and grown those mature believers. It's still an immature church. When it becomes a mature body of Christ, it becomes equipped and loving and wants to go and save the world. So, yeah, there's a natural priority to build one another up, and I think that the household of faith and the priority of the household of faith is real. If it's done properly, though, it drives us out to the world, I guess. Just to follow up, why, why, why do you, it just in, in, your, in your experience, as you, as you just work with churches and council pastors and others that are in, in leadership, why do you think it could be so hard to, to so, so we know a balance is needed between the, the, the efforts on one side of the cross and the other, and the direction is all in one direction, but it, 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 it does seem like churches can get stuck in the evangelistic side of it. Why can it be so hard to, to, get, to, to get Christians to do evangelism, essentially? Now, I love what you said about we censor ourselves naturally. That's a great idea that I was really pricked by personally. Why do you think that can be so difficult? Well, they, I hope I'm I mean, saying that because, sharp I mean, enough. because we know uh, those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. Sure. I mean, we do know that suffering happens, and we might not be physically persecuted, but um, we have a book, I don't have it back there, but it's called Suffering Well, and one of the, one of the points author Paul Grimman makes is that we've bought the lie to think that suffering is for those people in those countries that get physical persecution. But how many, he looked at all the Bible references to being ostracized or reviled because of my name, that Jesus right. says, blessed are you. Um, and so we forget that if we are living a salt and light life, and if we are speaking the truth uh, in love, but speaking, we will be reviled. And so, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's natural, but there is a natural sense to avoid pain, sure. <laughs> to avoid persecution, to yes. avoid being so, uh, ostracized. If uh, Jeff and Abby, who I talked about earlier, uh, they may retract from us completely and let, not let their daughters play with our daughters uh, if, if and when we speak the gospel to them. There's repercussions. And so... Just, I know we all know that, but I just want to make the obvious point there. Um, the other thing I'd add, Matt, is, is um, the barriers to, to, to uh, ministering on that left side for most Christians are a combination of some, of some deficit in one, of the, one or more of the C's. So mm-hmm. conviction, character, competence. Okay. It could be that we just haven't grasped in our minds the reality of heaven and hell and the reality of God's judgment against sin, and maybe we need to dwell on and think about those things in our hearts and be convicted and convinced of them afresh. Maybe we've forgotten them, put them away in the back cupboard somewhere. It could be a character issue. It could be we're just selfish. We'd rather have an easier life, and we don't want, the, like Jesus, to lay down our lives for the sake of other people and to make that step for them, so it might be a character issue. But sometimes it's also a competency, a third C. It's sometimes you just don't know how... We need a bit of help, we need some confidence, we need some equipping, some training, a few simple things to try, some people to do it with alongside that, hey, let's do this together, that's just where small groups are so helpful. So sometimes it's, it's, it's having that. And so the kind of training-oriented, the churches that are seeing this happen more and more, not only are working at, at hooking all these things up together, but they're developing a, a training culture, a culture where we're always seeking to help each other grow in these things and head back to the left to minister to others, and it's just part of who we are. And so the training aspect is, is often a reason that people don't have the confidence or the competencies to, to get involved in their own way. And one more thing to add, I mean, just again, being in a Midwesterner like you, we haven't, 
Nothing beats necessity, right? And divorcing yourself. And we, mm. we haven't had to. I'm not saying that's good. We haven't had to be evangelist. We've either relied on transfer growth or okay. we just have, things have built up. Um, and we're facing the, the cold reality now that I don't want to evangelize because I have to and we need to fill our church. Right. But there is that sense. And we get lots of people who we do some of these things with and say, yeah, but how do I get people to come to my church now? Like, yeah. And we're facing the reality that England has faced and Australia has faced uh, decades before us. Um, that people aren't just going to start keep showing up. And so we've gotten lazy. It's yeah. very true. There was a time in Australia when, like there is here, people kind of just come to church for whatever reason. And on any given Sunday, you'll have a whole bunch of people in your church who probably aren't really converted, um, sort of nominal Christians. Um, we don't have any nominal Christians anymore. That all, that all stopped a long time ago. Um, and so... We know very well, and, it's going to, and this is happening more and more where you are, and it's going to keep happening. The direction, it's all in that direction. Um, and it means that uh, whereas there was an opportunity in the past when God would just bring lots of people to you that you could evangelise, you just turned up and you could evangelise them and keep yourself very busy. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be the case as time goes along. But if we're going to be faithful in the Great Commission to seek out, apprentice, seek out people to, to win to the Lord, we need to go out and, and reach people. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, one of the questions had to do had to do with moms and dads, and maybe some tips for how to help their kid. Ages weren't specific, but how to help kids move to the right. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if I wonder if either of you could speak to that. Where moms and dads want to help our kids move to the right. I'll let Marty go first. He's he's at that stage of life. He's still got <laughs> kids in the home, and then I can uh, tell you about all the mistakes we made. Yeah. Okay. Tony wrote a book called Fatherhood. <laughs> I, I don't have it back there, but he wrote a book called Fatherhood that you can get online. It's really helpful. And it's actually a really good nudge book. I'm not evangelistic, but it has a nudge for the kind of the average father who's just struggling along. I'd encourage you to pick that up. Uh, so my kids are ages 15 down to 11. There's four of them. And tips. Uh, oh, man. I mean, I've already lost all my hair in God's kindness before I had teenagers. Uh, I would say... Back to what I said earlier about the kind of all or nothing is I'm trying to convince myself not to be an all or nothing guy, to be incremental, such that we have the the ideal of the Christian family around the dinner table, singing the song, going through the catechism, praying for one another. Kids are are coming down the aisle. Yeah, right, right. Um, (laughs) They're they're filling out cards. Father, father, please do tell me more about the gospel. And I have that. And then I find myself five minutes later screaming, yelling at my kids and my wife and myself because I'm a jerk. And uh, because I have this ideal to think we have to get it all like that every day. Mm. And so then I go the other way and think we can't do anything. We got practice. So I would say just for me, the thing I'm keep trying to teach myself is incrementalism is that if so we haven't been able to sit around the dinner table together for several months because of events. And that's another story where they're how busy that's for another time. But I would say that, so one little thing I did, I said, instead of, because we can't get the Bible open together, I individually, the four of my kids, I just said, why don't you pick a, a passage in Philippians? It was uh, the sermon series we were on at our church. So it's connecting what we're doing to not just our own family, but to the church family. Pick one passage in Philippians and, and memorize it. And it's something then when I'm in the car with them, uh, or just whenever, we can just talk about it. It gives me a reference point of the word, the, the first P. Um, so that we can have that reference point. So it's little incremental steps. Yep. Um, that would be one thing I currently I'm trying to convince myself of and trying out. That's great. 
Uh, I think all I'd add, looking back, is is um, uh, a recognition, like Marty says, of, of the reality of failure, that in all sorts of ways you will kind of mess up. You'll have devotional plans and you'll set them running for a while and then they'll fall to pieces for some reason or another, just like your own personal Bible reading does, by the way, right? Um, or your personal prayer times, they come and go. Um, the idea is not to bemoan the fact that you can't keep the same thing going. It's just to recognise... Okay, that worked for a while in the stage we're at. Now let's think, where, where are we now? What can we do? How can we start again? Uh, for us and our family, I felt it was a constant cycle of starting again, just like the Christian life is. Okay, the last thing we were doing was great for a while, but it's kind of not working now. We need to start again and do something a little different. And it, um, it can be... Form- it's best, there's some formal instruction, but it's also, as, as Marty says, taking advantage of those informal times when you're just in the car so much with your kids. Um, but if you have this vision and see that this is what I'm seeking to do with my kids, through my example, this is a huge part, a big thing you can do to disciple your kids is to be a disciple, to let them see that you're seeking to grow as an apprentice of Jesus Christ and that that matters more to you than anything. Let them see that. Be honest with them about that and let them see that as they look at you, they're seeing someone who's seeking to do what he's telling me I need to do. I think example in the family is, is very important. Long subject. That's great. That's great. It, 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 whenever, so I've, I've got I've got little kids. Whenever I think of the idea of failure, or where where I didn't live it up, or where I did I did become become I lost the categories of firm versus harsh or whatever it may be with my little kids. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I I do find one of the best things I can do is just say, "Daddy needs the gospel too." Yeah. You know, Will you forgive me? Um, I did the wrong thing, buddy. Yeah. Buddy, I, I'm just in, I'm just as in need of this as you are, and so hopefully that yeah. helps them move to the right. Yeah, just hearing it. How, how about this? Uh, how to disciple someone here at church that you sense might be uh, going through uh, going through the church motions? So maybe this could be someone that you're you're or, you're oriented towards these things, and they're not. Um, so someone who's going through the going through the motions. So this is somebody who's a Christian. Let's, let's assume, let's assume yes, so. Let's assume, yes, sure. They're established yeah. stuck. They're in established, but they've stuck. been in the established category for a very long time, and they're really not moving, moving all that far forward. Um, how does anyone change? How does anyone move forward? Through the Word of God, prayerfully applied by people patiently over time. And so there's no secret. There's no magical trick. The only way anyone grows or moves forward is, is through the Word. And so I'd be thinking about this friend of mine who's stuck, and I'd be thinking, which aspect of the word does my friend need to hear? They maybe don't need to hear that adultery is wrong. They've got that under control, and they're fine. But is there another part of the word that they do really need to hear? Is it this part of the word, the part of the word that says we're all apprentices and disciples of Jesus? And so maybe uh, Cole Marshall, my good friend and colleague with whom I wrote the, um, the Trellis and the Vine, he's, he's written a, a little set of Bible studies up there on making disciples and on, being, on great commission thinking for Christians. Maybe I need to pick that little thing up and say, hey, buddy, why don't we, why don't we get together and read the Bible together? I've just got this great little book. And so you, you dig into the word that addresses this person's problem and you pray and pray and pray that that word is effective. It's the only way people change, by applying whichever word they need to help them take one step forward to, yeah. the, to the right. That's a, one of the things we realize in our groups, but also individually, is what is the, I said this earlier, the barrier often. It's not always the case, as you mentioned, but it's busyness. It's back to that agenda. And so we had to go after, and personally, go after friends who, even to myself earlier, were so busy <laughs> that there's not time to move. 
And so uh, our colleague Ian Carmichael wrote a book called Busy, which is just really a, a, a felt need way to say what's the most important thing in your life. And so this issue, this move here is often going after, Tony has said in other places, the kind of careerism and middle class agenda that we all subtly or overtly have. And so that might be part of the word to say, yeah, what is the goal of my life? Um, See, it might be that you need to do a Bible study with your friend in Ecclesiastes. Like, there's a depressing book, isn't it, Ecclesiastes? It's a fantastic book for kind of demolishing our small ambitions and our hmm. kind of a middle class, Iowa nice, is that right, is that a thing? It's a thing for demolishing Iowa nice and all the kind of nice <laughs> ambitions we all have for our nice lives. Read Ecclesiastes and you'll say it's all pointless. It's going nowhere. It all goes around again. It's a waste of time. Everything, nothing changed. Ecclesiastes is great because it, it's a critique of that mindset and then points you to, to Jesus Christ eventually. So think of which parts of the Bible um, we need to study. So you've, uh, you've, you've led, let, let's envision, we'll end here. You, 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 let's envision you've led, someone, someone has, made, has made the step over for, to leave their old life. They've repented and they believe they trust in Christ. You're going to disciple them. What's a, what, what's a good, we, we, this, so personal discipleship is something we talk a lot about. We're really eager to see our people, the people here in this room, but everyone who calls Grace Church home, oriented towards meeting with other people. So, so uh, good... Uh, a good book of the Bible to take someone through, um, a good resource, just just some things like that. Yep. I'll, yep. And, and I didn't give in the scenario, I don't have everything yeah, about Tony, their background. Yeah, Tony yep. mentioned already, but I, someone asked me earlier, and we were talking, my three favorite books of the Bible are Colossians, Mark, and Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. That gives you an insight of kind of my demented kind of view <laughs> that Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. But because it is getting, it gets me every time, and every time I've taught it or read it through with someone, to, to Tony's recent, this point there, it gets him. The yeah. word of God is not, does not return void. Mm. So I think, I would say just specifically, be very prof- try to f- have a book of the Bible that you're very proficient at. And what I mean by that, you could just simply open it up That's great. and read through in three, four, six, eight weeks or more. Mm. And I tend to think of Colossians is really good or you know, one of Paul's letters because you can get through it quickly. And, you know, in a couple months, Mark is good because it's the, the, the meeting Jesus That's and great. Ecclesiastes is good for the reasons Tony mentioned. Uh, number two, I would say I mentioned it earlier, but some kind of good gospel framework. Yeah, we I think we need to stop assuming people know the gospel yeah. and better yet, even stop assuming that the gospel is something for elementary school or Sunday school kids. Mm. Uh, the gospel, as Colossians two, six and seven say, you know, just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to walk in him. You don't need yeah. to move on to other things mm. um, because the gospel goes in every facet of our life. So have a way to to teach, read about the gospel with someone, whether that's through the gospel of Mark or Luke or through Tony's Learn the Gospel, Two Ways to Live, something. Those would be some of the main things I'd start with. That's great. Uh, The only things I'd add are um, there's a a really nice little set of simple Bible studies that were written back in Sydney way, way back around the Billy Graham Crusade in 1979 when that happened in Sydney. There you go. Uh, Which which I was mostly converted. Um, Called Just for Starters or the Seven Foundational Bible Studies Just for Starters. And there's seven Bible studies on key passages about what it means to become a Christian and live the Christian life. Um, Each passage is only about three verses long, and they're very basic and introductory and simple. 
Um, for, for a new believer, if that's what you're talking about, sure. that you really want to establish and just meet one-to-one -one with, it gives you a really, really great seven-week framework for just catching up with somebody and working through the absolute basics, just for starters, it's called. I recommend that. We have some back there. Yep. Oh, yeah, they're there underneath. I just thought I'd wait for the last surprise. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. It's the secret. It's yeah, yeah, you got to know the secret handshake yeah. to get to those. Hey, hey, everybody, before I do a, a wrap-up and a prayer, can we thank Tony and Marty for being with us today? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Tony, so, so Tony, as, he's, as he said, is, is, is from Australia. Marty's from Ohio. And, and you, so, so you're in the States for how much longer, doing some other trainings? Okay. With One more week, yep. One more week. Okay, yeah. and we'll pray for you as you continue. Thank We're grateful you. you're able Thank to be you. with us. Yeah. Um, okay, everybody, so that'll, that'll conclude our time. Let me give a wrap-up really quick, though. So we've learned a lot, and, and kind of what I want to do now is, is sort of say, what now? Um, so, so a couple of ideas I want to give for you as we leave. I'm going to take about one or two minutes here really quickly, and then we're going to go pick up our kids. If, that, if our kids are back there, we're going to thank those child care workers. Amen? Hey, man, some hardworking servants back there. Uh, so, so one thing would be vision. One of the things that, 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 that Tony has been doing for, with Matthias Media and Marty has been doing is giving Christians and churches of an overall vision for the Christian life. What ought I to be oriented towards with everything I'm doing? I'm a very simple guy. I like one or two things that need to, that, that need to happen, and I can go all in, in the, with them because we want to major on the major. So that's, that's one thing to think about. The, the other big idea is language. We were given a lot of really good language. Some of it is familiar. Some of it we don't use as much here as grace, but the basic frameworks and concepts have, are, are just incredibly, incredibly helpful. And, the, and then the final idea is, again, kind of what now? So, so uh, you, you registered to be here with us for Disciple Now. And I named it that intentionally because if the Lord gives us tomorrow, it'll be now. And if the Lord gives us five years from now, it'll be now. And this is what we need to be doing. Amen? And so, and so what, what's going to happen is um, next week, you're going to um, uh, get an email from me with some next steps. It'll be, it'll be some follow-up summaries and then some ways, um, probably in the form of questions, that we can use some of the structures, environments, pathways, what Tony spoke about for how we can do some of these things. Now, this was just incredibly helpful. In every church, one of the jobs of, of every one of your pastors, not just me as the adult pastor, but Pastor Andrew as he works with, with students and Pastor Phil as he, as he leads us as our senior pastor, is to think about the environments, the structures, the pathways we have to aid you to do this work. It's Ephesians 4, isn't it? To, to, make, to, uh, to equip the saints. And so I want there to be a now to this. I want there to be a next step. And um, we have plenty in this room to, get, to continue to have great momentum among our church. Does that make sense? So be looking for that next week. Uh, don't be, don't, don't, please, please, uh, please check your emails. Say, yes, Pastor, I'm going to check my email. You're going to check it. All right, good. Okay. Uh, I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll be finished. I'm so grateful you would give of your time to be with us today. Uh, friends, enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, go. Uh, don't forget your kids. Don't forget your kids. Move them to the right, right to the car. Just move them to the right, right to the car. Thank you, brothers. Let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are, so, we are excited. We are eager. We are ambitious to disciple the nations. I, um, my ambitions are small. They're often too small. And you said disciple the nations. Why? Because you are king of the world. You are the son of Psalm 2. You are the Lord of the universe. You reign over the nations. And we are simply privileged to be brought in with you in your work. And so if we, I, I just want to leave humbled and just graced 
today to learn from such servants, to walk away with books. And Lord, it, there's a both and to this. There is a, there's both what I can do personally and what we can do together through the environments and structures that we have so that we can continue to make disciples tomorrow morning across the street and around the world. So Lord, would you spur us on to love and good works as a result of what we heard. In Jesus' great name, amen.